The following audio message by Dudley Hall is presented by Kerygma Ventures. More information is available at www.kerygmaventures.com. Well, glory. Hey, this is Dudley. Good to be back with you again this month. A couple things. There's always a couple things, right? First of all, I'm going to be talking about a subject that I think will fit right in with a series that I did some time back. And many of you have not gotten this, and you should. It's called Show Us the Father. And it is about the father-son relationship, which is the most relationship, most important relationship possible. And the fact that Jesus came so that you and I can have the same relationship with the Father that he does. And that relationship so satisfies us that it, it makes us holy, makes us different, it makes us like him. So we have it in video and we have it in audio. So you can get that uh, and you should get that. And you should hear it, look at it, share it with your friends, whatever. And two or three things coming up. This is July, so we are about to start a leadership expedition. This is our uh, intense training for our young men, ages 16 to 25. And so when you get this, or when you download this, when you listen to it on the CD, please be praying for the leadership, leadership expedition. We've been doing this now 20-something years. We've got uh, young men all over the world who are leading because they have learned how to make wise decisions, how to follow God, how to hear God, how to walk in, in His way, and how to access the gifts that God has given to them, which is what we're trying to do. So be thinking about that. Then a couple of things I want to m- mention to you is coming up this fall. One is the uh, Treasure Hunt Weekend, which is the Women's Weekend. And this is always a fabulous weekend where the women come out and they get together and they study the gospel as it relates to their calling, their status, their own individual distinctiveness. And it's, it's the gospel for women, uh, not for women only, but it's applied to women. So go on the website and register for that. If you've never been, those girls, you'll fall in love with them first five minutes and you'll be at home. You, you'll never, you never want to be away from them. Uh, if you have been, you know it's great. You want to come back and be a part of it. And then the uh, Beyond Happiness Marriage Conference that we do at the ranch as well, uh, where we apply the gospel to marriage. It's uh, Marriage is not meant to make you happy, but it will make you holy. It, it calls out of you all the good things that God's put within you. So it, it's a fun time, fun time for couples to, to be there. Again, go on the website and register for that. Just a word of thanks to those of you who do listen to these messages and then respond by contributing and investing with us. I know that you're smart enough to know that though these don't cost you anything directly, that they do cost things. And the scripture says, you who are taught in the word which should share with them who taught you. And so we ask you to share with us, invest with us, because we believe the message of the gospel that we're preaching. We're certainly not the only ones preaching it, but we are preaching a distinctive gospel that transforms people. We believe that the kingdom of God has been inaugurated in Christ, that it's possible to be transformed now while we're waiting for the culmination and consummation of the kingdom that will become later. We're not waiting for Jesus to come back to start a kingdom. He's already started it. And because the Holy Spirit's given here, the same spirit that raised him from the dead, it lives in us, he can change anything and anyone. And we preach that gospel unashamedly. We apply it 
in every area of life that we can with the young men, young women, uh, father-daughter, father-son, men's retreats, women's retreats, couples' retreats, everything that we do, we feature this gospel. You're making good investment when you invest in Kerygma Ventures. So if you are listening and you have listened and you've been blessed at all, would you consider becoming investor with us? And would you, uh, would you bless us as we hope we bless you by giving? And if you'd like to become a regular giver, you can do that on the website. It shows you how, where you just have so much deducted from a credit card or account or whatever. We, we make no false humility stuff like, you know, we don't really need, we do need you. And we can't do this without doing it as a part of, of a team and you're part of the team. So thanks for those of you who've given and thanks for those of you who are going to give. And I want you to enjoy it. Give, give generously and uh, give happily. God loves a cheerful giver. Okay, this month, I want to talk to you about how to please God. How do you please God? Now, uh, some of you may have read some articles that I've done on stream.org or maybe uh, even our weekly word and stuff. I, I talked recently about uh, this deal of having, ground, well, what we used to call as a boy is groundage. It's ringworm. It's a fungus. And I'm sorry if you're talking about fungus. That's not a very appetizing thing to do. But I've had a ringworm fungus on my ankle and I have fought it with everything I've known to fight it with. And finally, talked to a dermatologist and found a better way. But I tried all the over-counter stuff and nothing seemed to be working. Here's what I discovered about an itch. It begs to be scratched. It wants to be scratched. It begs, it demands to be scratched. Here's what else I learned. Scratching doesn't help. Oh, it feels good for the moment. Whoa, it feels so good for the moment but it inflames it and it spreads it. And so you wind up worse. And I had a friend who we were talking about the fact that humanity, because they were designed by God to be in the Garden of Eden and be with God, be a partner with God, be provided for by God, be passionately in love with God, they were designed for that. But when they sinned, they were expelled from the Garden. And there was something inside of humanity, all the fallen humanity, that like an itch begs to get back in, begs to please God, begs to get back to the former place, begs to be in a position where God can bless us, begs to be where God will love us again, where we accept it again. We, we, we want that, and, and it's like an itch. And there's so many people that are willing to give you a way to scratch it. In fact, the most marketable religion in the world, and it's the most popular form of the gospel that's preached in the world, is a Adam's itch-scratching religion. It is, it is giving you something to do that'll scratch that itch. What can I do to get back? What can I do? What lever can I pull to get God to bless me? What, what can I do to be better so he'll love me or love me more? What can I do to get him to be favorable toward me instead of curse, having a curse mentality upon me? What can I do? And, and so there, there's... And the Bible calls that dead works. Dead works. You, you can scratch all you want to, but you're not making any progress. You're just making things worse. And, and the more you scratch, the more you itch. And the more you itch, the more you scratch. And the more it spreads and, uh, until finally you're disillusioned. You're disillusioned, there's no hope. 
what can I do? We, we've talked about that whole thing so, uh, and, and then found out what, what is the gospel? Well, the gospel is that once you're outside the garden, there's nothing you can do to get back in. But the good news is God sent another Adam, another race, another, another human. His name is Jesus and he came and he lived in the garden with God and obeyed God and defeated the enemy and lived the perfect life and showed us what it means to live in, in union with the Father. And then he died in our place to pay the penalty for the sin, to, to bring justice to bear, if you will. He became the, the, the judge and the, the sacrifice. He, he was just and the justifier of us. So he came and made it possible for us to get back in the garden. He reconciled us to God, brought us from alienation into reconciliation so that we could live with God, enjoy God, have same access with God, be partners with God, be everything that Adam was designed to be and even greater because we now share the life of Christ. So, so Jesus sent another Adam to start a whole new race and we're in that race. Therefore, you don't need to do anything to get back with God. What, what is the greatest work you can do? Believe, trust Jesus to be your substitute. Trust Jesus to be your covenant maker, your, your mediator. As you trust Jesus, then your trust puts you back in that relationship with God because you get his righteousness, his position, his status, because he took yours. And so from that sense, you can quit scratching. You can rest from all of your dead works and your wicked works and your religious works because nothing you can do. You see, basically, here, here's how the Adam itch works, is you finally get disillusioned because as you go along, you'll, you'll think you come upon some kind of new understanding of what it takes to get God to bless you. So you find this religious lever, whether it's fasting, praying, uh, reading your Bible more, being nicer, uh, uh, getting rid of some things in your life, uh, all that kind of stuff. So, so you got all those things, you say, and, and you write a book on it, and then you tell your testimony, and you tell people, this is how you get it. This is how you, this is how you please God. This is how you get blessings from God. You, you do these things right here, and you will. And so, God, let me tell you this: God loves you too much to leave you believing that lie. And so, eventually, the lever won't work. It may, it may seem to work a lot. And and you keep pulling the lever and it doesn't work. And so then it's like, uh-oh, what's happened? See, God loves you too much to let you believe that you can, you can initiate and you can maneuver him and that you can get him to respond to you. No, he did the acting so we would respond to him. And so... From that sense, the, the itch can only be scratched by somebody else. And that itch is scratched and solved and there's no longer any itch there when you come to trust Jesus as the one who brought you back into the presence of God, into the pleasure of God. So there's nothing you can do except trust him. You say, well, doesn't that just kind of leave you in limbo, like in passivity? I mean, are you not supposed to do anything? Oh, you, you get to do a lot of things. In fact, that's a, that's the text I want to read it today. It's uh, it's in Ephesians chapter five. So if if you're not driving, 
if you're driving, please don't do this. But if you're not driving and you can, look, 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 listen to these verses right here. Let's do it real carefully. Therefore, this is Ephesians 5.1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity and covetousness must not even be named among you. It's proper among all the saints. Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or covetousness, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words because of these things. The wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not associate with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Huh. What is he saying? Well, he's saying this. Your problem, your itch, was deeper than you thought, bigger than you thought. It was more than just you were missing the mark or you didn't know quite enough or, or you, you needed to improve some. No, it was, so, it was so bad that you have to have salvation from the outside. Somebody else has to act in your behalf. And so God did that in sending his own son. God himself became our sin in the person of his son so that sin is condemned so that we're freed from both its penalty and its power and God didn't just stop with that, but he was raised, Jesus was raised from the dead, sent at the right hand of the Father, sent the Holy Spirit to live in us, and it's the same Spirit that lived in him that raised him from the dead. And so we now share this, this life with him. So you're a new person. Once you were that alienated, fearful, shamed, guilty, condemned person, and all of your actions reflected all those things. Your shame caused you to try to get on or your guilt caused you to try to make up for it. Your fear caused you to manipulate people, run, hide, fight, all that kind of stuff. With all that mess, you were trying to be, trying to please God by doing religious things and, and none of it mattered. And so he had to act in your behalf. But when he did, you are transformed into a whole new person. You are now an in Christ person. You are now a forgiven person. You're now a washed clean person. You're now a beloved person. Probably that's the, that's the, maybe the most important thing I could say. So, so here's this command. Uh, in chapter four, he has said that we are to be kind to one another and that we're to forgive one another as God through Christ has forgiven us and we're to be imitators of God. Probably referring more to forgiving one another, because that's the hardest thing in the world to do. I mean, forgiving somebody who's betrayed you, and they are wrong, and you know they're wrong, they are actually wrong, and they betrayed you, and you've been shortchanged, and you've been hurt, and injustice has happened to you, and you were a victim of their, their pride, their arrogance, their sin. You're a victim for you to forgive them. To, to forgive means that you lay it to their charge no more, and that you're willing to pay yourself the penalty for what they deserve. That's a hard thing to do. That's a hard thing to do. That's impossible for humans to do completely. 
Only God in Christ could do that. So he says you can be imitators of God. But sometimes that phrase just looks like that, that's impossible. I mean, that's, that, that's, uh, that's way out there. I, I can't. I can't imitate God. Well, you can in this way. You, you can forgive. You can live like Jesus lived. So, so he goes on to tell you what does it mean to imitate God? It means to walk in love as Christ walked. But before he tells you to walk in love, he makes this great distinction. He says, be imitators of God as beloved children. Ah, there's the key. When I am loved by God, even though he knows everything, he knows everything about me, he knows every thought I've ever had, every one that I, I shall ever have. He knows all my perversions. He knows all my quirks. He knows my weakness. He knows my fears. He knows my sin. He knows, he knows every time I've tried to manipulate. He knows every time I've, I've deceived myself. He knows, he knows everything, and he still loves me. He loved me so much that he paid his own life, Jesus, his son's life. He paid his own life for me. He loves me and he knows me. When, when, that, when, that, when I awaken to that, when I know that, when I know it more than just theoretically, I really know that, I'm now, for the first time in my existence, I'm free to obey. I can actually do things now without selfish motivation. I, I, I actually can do things for God. I, I can do things for others. And and not only can I do it, I want to do it because he has shared his life with me and we are now sharing the same heart, the same mind, the same value, the same mission, and I'm sharing it. I want to do his will and now he has made it possible for me to do his will. Remember Paul said in Romans 7, there was a time when I was living on the law when when I knew what was right, and I even wanted to do it, I just found I couldn't do it. So death, the death of Christ that we, uh, that we adhere to, that we accept as our own, the death of Christ made me a whole new person. Now I can. And so the command that God gives in the New Testament, that God gives us in the New Testament, the commands are always promises maybe in disguise. When God commands you to do something as a new Adam, a new person in Christ, you can do it. Because with the command, he, he's, he provides the wherewithal to get it done. Like a man with a withered hand, remember that? When Jesus was on the earth, he said to the man with the withered hand, stretch forth your hand. Well, that's a cruel statement, isn't it? To a man with a withered hand. And yet Jesus says, do it. He didn't tell him how to do it, he just says, do it. The man chooses to believe him and stretches forth his hand and, and God provides the miracle so he can get it done. He said to Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus was dead, been dead several days. He was thinking, his sister said. And Jesus has the audacity to say to him, come forth. Well, you can't, you can't expect a dead man to come forth. That's ridiculous. Well, Jesus says, when I command, I am able. So God tells us all these commands in the New Testament, love one another, love your enemies, bless those that curse you. Forgive those who have offended you. He tells us to move mountains. He tells all kind of all kind of crazy stuff. Crazy if you're just limited to the rational, natural, natural. But not crazy if you're part of the kingdom of God, because 
Now you've got to demonstrate the distinctiveness of what it means to be a person in Christ, to be a godly person, one of God's kids. So subdue the earth. I can't subdue the earth. Yes, you're only responsible for that little garden he's given you. Subdue it. Subdue. Subdue your own body. Subdue the passions of your own body. Subdue your own thought patterns. Subdue your time management. Subdue it. You say, I can't, I can't, I can't. Yes, you can. You see, these are commands of a father. And when a father speaks to his children, he speaks to them in terms of encouraging them by by calling out of them things they didn't even know was in them. That's what a father does to a son or a daughter. You can, you can do these things. You know, thank God for moms because you know, they, they, they feel with us and they tell us how to do it and whatever. But the father will often just be just say, uh, well, I, how many times have your father said this to your kids who are biting in the back seat while you're doing a trip? You turn around and you go, knock it off. You don't tell them how to knock it off. You don't tell them how to fix it. You don't tell them. You say, it's got to be done. You figure it out. You solve the problem. And they figure out a way to knock it off. How does mom typically do it? Well, she would be more likely to turn around and go, now, honey, you sit over here and you sit over here and y'all just put that little line right and you don't touch him. You tell him you're sorry. And, you know, thank God for moms who tell you all that kind of stuff. But the father basically says, get it done. I'm calling out of you some stuff that you don't even know is in you. I have put resurrection life in you. Therefore, I'm calling resurrection life out of you. I put love in you. I'm calling love out of you. I, I've, I put hope in you. I'm calling hope out of you. I, I, I'm putting strength in you. I'm calling strength out of you. So the commands of the New Testament are God's commands to call out of us what he has already put in. And as we, as we trust him and acting in obedience to those commands, he performs the miracle and we do it. And we find out, whoa, I can love people I didn't know I could love. I can forgive people I didn't know I could forgive. I can, I can forget things, forget in the sense that I don't, I don't uh, place pain and misery there. I don't have to live in regret. I can enjoy things. So all of God's commands are promises because of, the, because of our union with Christ, because of the life that he's put within us. So it says we're to walk in love as Christ did, offering himself up as a sweet-smelling sacrifice, sweet-smelling aroma. What does, uh, what does that mean? Well, he's using the language of the sacrifices of the Old Testament here because, God, you know, the, God had sacrifices that they were to make and and they would come and they would bring an offering and they would, they would cook it. They would put it on the fire and they would cook it. And as it would go up, God would smell it. And he, it says as it entered the nostrils of God, God was pleased. Okay, how can we make an aroma that pleases God? Does God just like the smell of beef or of turtle doves or, or, or lambs? Well, I mean... I never cooked a turtle dove, but I sure like lamb and beef. So is it just God likes good cooking? Is that what, what the Old Testament is about? No. You see, a sacrifice is when there's something I could keep for my own, but I give it up. I give it up to him. And, and God smells that and goes, I like that. And when, and when Jesus, the perfect lamb, offered himself up and was sacrificed on the cross, that smell really good to the Father. 
because the Father loves us and the Father wants us to share his inheritance. He wants us to be one with him. And so that smelled really good to him. So how do we continue to fill God's nostrils with that? Well, we offer ourselves up. When we could keep it for ourselves, whether it's our time or our money or, or whatever, we could keep it for ourselves, we offer it up. And how do we offer it up? We offer it up to others, those that he loves. We offer it up to, to the hungry, to the poor, to the lost, to the hurting, to the grieving, to the bruised. As we offer it up to, him, uh, to them, we're offering it up to him. And he, he's pleased. You say, well, you've already said there's nothing I can do to please God. You can't. From the outside, trying to get in, there's nothing you can do that would so please God that he would, uh, he would let you in apart from penalty of, penalty of sin is death. There's nothing you can do. But since Jesus has totally pleased him in that sense, now we can live a life that continues to reflect Christ and it's a continuing good smell in his nostrils as he, as he smells the, uh, the offering ourselves up to God. So it's the obedience of faith. It's the same principle that Paul is talking about in Romans 12, 1 and 2, where he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present yourselves a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable God, which is your reasonable service. It's the most natural, inevitable thing in the world. If you know the mercies of God, if you've experienced the mercies of God, if you know what it is to be forgiven, if you know what it is to be loved unconditionally and eternally, if you've experienced that kind of mercy, the most natural form of worship in the world is you offer yourself up. Okay, God, here, I, I offer myself to you. What, what do you need done? Well, God, God says, I need some people that I need some people that need to be fed. I need some people that need to be clothed. I need some people, all these people need the gospel. I need I need somebody to 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 work in this education thing over here to to revamp education. I need somebody to work in public policy. I need somebody to, to work over here in the scientific world where where they think maybe they've got it figured out and they really don't. I need somebody to work in the medical world. I need, I need somebody over here. And, and so we say, I offer myself up. So whatever I'm doing, whatever my vocation is, whatever my avocation is, whatever my hobby is, whatever my so idle time is, whatever it is, I offer it up to you because I am here to display your glory. That's what I was created for. I was created to share your life, share your mission, share your heart. So I offer myself up. So you, so you see, there's no such thing as true passivity. There's no such thing as no work to do. We're all doing something. You're, you're human. You're made to work. You're going to be doing something. You say, I don't do anything. Watch TV. Well, that's work. You did something. Well, I just slept. Well, that's something. So, so you're either going to be working wicked works, dead works, or good works. Wicked works is when you're just working for yourself and you're manipulating others and you're disregarding God and, and you're, you're controlled by evil. Dead works is when you're still scratching, trying to do something to get God to love you more or trying to get back into his presence. That's dead works, whether it's religion or whatever. Good works. Yeah. That's when Jesus says to you, okay, I got some commands for you here. And, and remember what Jesus said to his disciples? He said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. 
Now, for a long time, I read that, and I thought that was a, was a condition. I thought Jesus was saying, you don't love me if you don't keep my commandments, so the way you love me is by keeping my commandments. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. You know, it'd be like, you know, your, your manipulative grandmother say, would say, if you love me, you'll come to see me. So in, in other words, she's trying to get you to come to see her, to prove that you love her. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's not saying, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. He's not manipulating. He's saying, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. You, you, you can't be loved by God like that and then to love him back without even his commandments. I mean, think about it in the father-son relationship. A son who knows his father, loves him, and who enjoys the father, there's nothing that pleases that son more than to honor the father honor his name, to honor his reputation, to honor his vision, to honor his mission. He wants to honor the Father. That, that's the freedom God has set us into. He set us free to, to live like that. So, so instead of living in sexuality, uh, perverted sexuality, greed, covetousness, all those kind of things, we are living in gratitude and we're living as expressions of his life. You see, you don't want to live your whole life just thinking about prohibitions. Oh, if you're a good Christian, you won't be sexually impure. If you're a good Christian, you won't be covetous. If you're a good Christian, you, you won't be idolatrous. If you're a good Christian, you won't be lustful. If you're a good Christian, da-da-da-da-da. Are you living your life by prohibitions? No. You've been made a new person. Now act like it. Act like who you are. You're a new person. You've been born again in him. And, and because you are new, you don't have to think that way anymore. You don't have to, to live that way anymore. I, I'll read you uh, a few verses prior to where we started today. This is uh, Ephesians 4. I started in Ephesians 5 with you. Listen to this. 4.17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles or the heathen do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them due to the hardness of heart. They become callous and have given themselves over to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. That's not the way you learn Christ. You ran into Christ. Christ is your life. He, he is teaching you. He has taught you. This is truth is in Christ. Assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him, as truth is in Jesus. Now, here's what, here's what Jesus teaches you to do. Put off your old man, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Be renewed in the spirit of your minds and then put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. So, it's a threefold dynamic. You recognize these old thought patterns, these old values that you had, and you put it off, just like you take off all clothes. Put it off. You say, how do I put it off? Just get it off. Say no to it. No more sexual impurity. No more idolatry. No more lust. No, none of that. Just, you say, well, that's hard. That's, what, that's part of your old life. Stop it. That's what he's saying. He said, well, that's just, that's just cruel. No, it isn't cruel. It's, it's the loving Father calling out of you that which he's put in you. He has put within you the ability to say no. To ungodliness and to say yes to love. That's in you. If it's not in you, you're not a believer. You're not one of God's own. 
you say it, 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 it's hard. Well, it's different because you have been living according to the pleasures of sin. You've been living according to that old mindset. It's different, yes, but it, you're back to a place where you can make a choice. You can choose. Now, as long as you put up with it, as long as you're content to be uh, defeated by these old drives and these old patterns of thinking or whatever, okay. But you see, God didn't, didn't, he didn't do all that he did in Jesus Christ to make you content to be a little bit better or to survive, merely survive. He, he created you in Christ Jesus to thrive, to be different, to be holy. Holy means different, distinct. It, it means you've been called. You, you've got a meaningful purpose. It, and it means that you, you are here to be light where there's darkness and, and that you're to be salt where there's perversion. It means that, that, that you can't hide anymore. But it also means that you have the capacity to say no to ungodliness and yes to love because of what God has done in your life. So, so you have that. You, you can do it. So like fathers will say, knock it off. You know, you have your father saying, hey, there's some things you need to quit and there's some things you need to start. And so get it going. So we believe. We believe what God says about us is true. We speak what we believe and then we act what we speak. Hey, that's kind of the definition of integrity, isn't it? If, you, if you're believing the truth and you're speaking what you believe, and then you're acting according to what you're saying, now you're lining up with order. You're lining up with God's order. And as you line up with God's order, you wind up with flourishing as much as the human can flourish. You say, well, does that guarantee that I won't ever have a problem? Oh, no. Oh, no, God, God, God doesn't define happiness on the basis of the absence of, of trouble. In fact... Trouble is guaranteed because it's trouble that, that puts us in a position where we have to rely on God and we get to see his miraculous power come in and work through us, in us, and around us. So trouble is, you know, that's just part of being human. It's part of, it's part of where we're living in the, in, in the big narrative. We live between the first coming of Christ, the inauguration of the kingdom, and the last coming of Christ, the consummation of the kingdom, we live in the middle where God is working through human beings to do his will on earth and to glorify his name. So, so what's the secret of pleasing God? Well, if you're not trusting Jesus as the one who pleased him fully, there's nothing you can do. If you are trusting Jesus as the one who satisfied all the holy demands of God and, and you're trusting him both for your future and for your present life, then you can you can put a good smell in God's nostrils by simply offering yourself up as Jesus offered himself up. God likes that. And he has given you the wherewithal to do it and he's calling it out of you so that you get to live your life. You get to live your life for the benefit of others and for the glory of God. And if you feel like you've got to do it, God, I've got to do it so you'll love me. You've missed the point. You get to do it because he loves you. And as you, as that dawns on you, as that opens up in your heart, then you'll find out that that's where the real joy is found. Okay, you got it? Think you got it? Let me pray for you. 
Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you that you love us too much to leave us in our own incompleteness, in our own fear, in our own isolated cocoons. I thank you that you have commanded us to act like who we are. You've made us new people, and you've commanded us to be new people, to live that way. I pray that you would grant the spirit of awakening to every person who's listening to this, there would, there would be an eye-opening, a heart-opening to see this great truth, this great distinctiveness about the gospel of transformation. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this is Dudley Hall with Kerygma Ventures. I look forward to being with you next time. Thank you for listening to this message by Dudley Hall from Kerygma Ventures. Additional copies of this resource, as well as a wide range of discipleship materials, is available from our website. You may make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Dudley Hall or Kerygma Ventures, please visit us online at www.kerygmaventures.com. That's K-E-R-Y-G-M-A-V-E-N-T-U-R-E-S dot com.